Well, it's such a privilege um, today to be sharing with you the last message in this series. It's been quite a long series, um, and it's entitled Overcoming the Flesh. Overcoming the what? Overcoming the flesh. And we're working on a book um, with regards to this. I've got Pastor Vim who's helping me in terms of putting that particular book together. And we've been doing it real time. She's been working on it as I pass on the notes to her, as we transcribe the audios and package it. We'll also be adding a few other things to the book that aren't being preached right now. We've got um, powerful material just around the role of generational stuff, generational patterns in families okay there's a lot of extreme stuff that has been taught on this that's not always biblical but uh, we're going to include that in the book we're also going to include a checklist so that you can see what your issues are amen a very powerful checklist around that um, we're also going to talk a bit about overcoming addiction I haven't specifically preached on that we've covered it here and there but there's going to be a specific chapter on that in the book also and I think it's going to be so powerful and it will come out maybe about a month from now so that's quite exciting we're trying to get the resources out so quickly I was so blessed you can ask uh, where's uh, Tendai over there he was in charge of our resource desk at City Life yesterday and we sold so so many books people are just hungry and I just want you to know that you're part of a church that's making a difference not just in this locality but in the region amen and um, I will let some of you know uh, in time when I'm doing various events various things out there for example on the 5th of uh, August we'll be out in the Val there's a lot of stuff happening in the Val and we'll be out ministering there to the youth and I think that'll be such a powerful event to have a number of you come through um, and see what God is doing amen. amen all right are you ready to hear about how to overcome the flesh <laughs> your spirit is saying amen your flesh is like mm. <laughs> Okay, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5 and we'll be reading from verse 16 to 18. Galatians chapter 5 and we're reading from verses 16 through to 18. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So your flesh, your sinful nature, has desires. And those desires are contrary to the things desired by the Spirit. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So my will, which is in line with God's will, is saying this is what I want. But my flesh has desires that are contrary to the will of God in my life. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now don't worry, I'm going to unpack all of this. But if we master what the scripture is saying, we have liberty in our lives. How many of you can identify with this scripture? Where you feel like there's good stuff I want to do. 
I want to be in church on time, okay? I want to be at church on time, right? I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. I want to do good. I want to love. I want to forgive. But there's something at work in me that is fighting against that. How many of you can identify with me? So I want to show you this morning how to overcome the flesh. John Piper says something interesting. He says, the basic mark of the flesh is that it is unsubmissive. The basic mark of the flesh is that it is unsubmissive. It does not want to submit to God's absolute authority or rely on God's absolute mercy. It doesn't want to submit to God's absolute authority and also at the same time it doesn't want to rely on God's absolute mercy. So when we're talking about the sinful nature, when we're talking about the flesh, we're not just talking about deeds of the flesh that we associate usually with sin. We can also be talking about good things that you're doing in the flesh. Because you see, when I try to perform for God, there's something in my fleshly nature that is basically saying, don't rely on God's grace, you can do it on your own. If I try and give generously to someone, but the motive is to impress that person so that they like me more, that's the flesh operating. It's doing a good thing, but it's from the flesh. Amen? And the choice we have today is to decide... Which life are you going to live from? Are you going to live from the life of the spirit of Christ within you? Or are you going to live from your flesh? I went to Sean and Sunera's new house in Barbecue Downs, a house they've purchased. And Sean is thinking like, Paul, what are you going to say? What is he going to say? What is he going to say? And I was just praying for the place, dedicating it to the Lord, lovely home. And they showed me their fireplace. And it was interesting because I'd been outside and I saw that there was this big gas thing going into the lounge. And I realized when I saw it, beautiful fireplace, they said, this is really lovely because it's the type of fireplace that is fueled by gas. And the nice thing about it is you don't have to keep putting wood in and so on, although it looks the same. Amen. And I realized as I was reflecting on this last night, I thought to myself, you know what? Sometimes you can go into a house and you can have the same effect, but it's powered by something else. How many of you know that sometimes you can go to someone's house? How many of you have got a house that is run by solar or certain things in your house that are run by solar? No one. Come on, guys. Alternative energy sources. Because you can go into someone's place and you can be watching TV and not know what's the source. And other people have power cuts or power outages and these people, their power is still running because of the source. And you see, we come to church and we can have the same behavior outwardly, but it's driven by different engines. Are you following me this morning? And I believe that God is calling us to make a choice this morning which engine is going to drive my behavior? Am I going to live from my flesh? Or am I going to live from the spirit of Christ within me? Let's go a little bit deeper. What is man's condition apart from Christ? That's the starting point. Let's try to see man's condition apart from Christ. 
A.W. Pink says something interesting. He says, and therefore, to say that man is a sinful creature or even to allow that he is totally depraved. The word depraved is just a fancy word for morally corrupt, wicked, deteriorated. Okay? Or even to allow that he is totally depraved is to acknowledge only half the truth. And the least humbling half at that. Man is a fallen creature. He has departed from his original state and primitive purity. Man, far from having ascended from something inferior to an ape, has descended from the elevated and honorable position in which God first placed him. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Those of you who got that. All right? So many people think man is getting better. Many people out there, those scientists, so-called scientists who believe in the theory of evolution that we came from, you know, something in between the goo and the zoo, some mixture there, and now we're these wonderfully intelligent people. But when you look at biblical Christianity, we see that man is a fallen creature. That when God created man, man was created in his image. And what does that mean that we were created in the image of God? It means, and it's so important to understand this, it means that there's something of God's nature that was imparted to man. There's something of God's moral attributes that were given to man. And when man decided to disobey God and to reject God, man became a fallen creature. And because we all came from Adam, when someone is born, how many of you know that you don't have to teach a child to be naughty? Stuart didn't have to say, hey Jude, I want to teach you lesson one in naughtiness. And people think like, oh, you know, kids, they're so innocent. It's one thing to be innocent. It's another thing to be depraved. There's a difference. A child can be innocent, not having been exposed to all sorts of things, but there's still that moral corruption in that child. And when we get born again, our spirit man that was dead to the things of God, becomes alive to the things of God. It's called regeneration. When God's spirit comes and rebirths your spirit. Isn't that powerful? And that's when the life of God gets into you and that's your source of freedom. And you can choose, are you going to live from this place of the life of Christ within you? The Zoe in the Greek, it's the God kind of life. Or are you going to live from your sinful nature? Let's go a little bit deeper. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, it says, Among them, we too all formerly lived. It's basically talking about people who are unsaved, who are doing bad stuff. It says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. I said to you earlier on that your flesh, your sinful nature has certain desires right now that word in the lusts of our flesh it literally means that word lusts of your flesh it literally means the desires of your flesh the passionate longing of your flesh and how many of you know that depending on what you feed the passionate longings of your flesh can be different to another person for some of you the passionate longings are maybe desire for intimacy and love those are the passionate longings of your flesh. For some of you, it's maybe greed and lust of the eyes. For others, it's maybe recognition. You know what the passionate longing of your sinful nature is. 
Among them, we too all formerly lived in the desires, the passionate longings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. Now it's interesting because that second word there for desires now is will. Indulging the will of the flesh. Your flesh has a will. It's important that my will, the will of my human spirit, that thing that makes me me, is aligned to God's will. Because my sinful nature also has a desire. And what happens is when a lot of people have been broken and bruised and battered in their lives, do you know what also happens? Their will is weakened. Very often when we pray for people, and especially with men, and we pray for a restoration in their masculinity, we are also praying for a restoration of their will. People who've been dominated, controlled, abused, molested, very often you'll find them weak-willed because there's something in their psyche that has been weakened. And so their sinful desires end up dominating them. My question to you is, which engine are you going to live from? Because although you are in Christ Jesus, you still have a choice. How many of you have a generator at home? No, guys, come on. Is it only us? We also want to know about your home situation. No solar, no generator. Ooh, we must pray for people. Hey, what happens when you have an outage? All right. But how I many of you know that when you've got your generator on, you can choose, can't you? You have a power outage and you decide, okay, let me use the generator. But what happens even when you don't have an outage? If you've still got fuel in your generator, you can choose. And you can just say, I'm switching over and I'm going to actually power my house using this generator. We've been given a choice. Are you going to live from that new place in Christ or are you going to live from the flesh? And as long as you're still in this earth suit, as long as you're still on this earth, you still have that flesh and you still have that choice. Amen. Now, this is interesting for me because it's talking about how we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. I found that interesting. As I was studying this, that they're the desires of your flesh, that's your sinful nature, and also of the mind. That word for mind is the word thought. My question to you this morning is, what are the desires of your sinful nature and what are the desires of your thoughts and your imagination? Scriptures talk about vain imaginations or evil imaginations. Then it says here, and were by nature children of wrath. In other words, our inheritance was going to be the wrath of God. Now, people don't preach that nowadays. Amen? Some people have the doctrine of ultimate reconciliation nowadays. That it doesn't matter, guys. Do all the fleshly stuff you want. God is a loving God and everyone will ultimately go to heaven. It's called the doctrine, it's a heresy. The doctrine of ultimate reconciliation. Because what I see here, it says, if we had remained in that state... It says, and were by nature children of wrath. We all know what wrath is, right? Wrath is anger, right? If you look in the Greek, it's anger, right? It says, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, there are consequences to living in the flesh. Amen. There are consequences to living in the flesh. Now, 
how do you indulge in the desires of the flesh? How do you gratify the desires of the flesh? Sometimes it's your desire for praise and recognition. Sometimes it's your need for revenge. You know what it is in your life. And as I share these things with you, zone in on that thing and label it and call it what you're supposed to call it. Are you making decisions based on what gratifies your flesh? Has your life become the pursuit of pleasure? And that's how people in the world give each other advice, don't they? Just do, as long as you are happy, just do what makes you happy. But are you happy? As long as you feel good, what is your heart saying? Do you feel good? But the Bible tells me that man is depraved. The Bible tells me that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. So can I necessarily trust the pursuit of my own pleasures as being God's will for my life? So let's examine how the flesh operates in the life of a believer. How does the flesh operate in the life of a believer? Romans chapter 7 verses 19 to 20. Romans chapter 7 verses 19 to 20. We want freedom, don't we? We want to be free because the fruit of the flesh is not great and we're going to go into it. So let's examine how the flesh operates in the life of a believer. Romans 7, is everyone there? Verses 19 to 20. For I do not do the good that I want to do. So my will is functioning, isn't it? I want to do certain things, but I end up not doing them. So somewhere along the line, my will is being overcome by something else. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. How many of you this year have been in a situation where you've done certain things and you're like, what was I thinking? Raise your hand. Come on, we're not judging you. We'll just wonder and be curious afterwards when we go home like, I wonder what it was. Raise your hands again. <laughs> hey, Jordan, I wonder. Hey, Sean, do you know? <laughs> okay. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So the goal of the biblical Christian is to put that sin nature to death in you so that it's not functioning. You see, you've got a choice to use that generator or not. How many of you know that even though we have a generator at home that has even got its fuel there at home, we haven't needed to use it in a long time. And it's always a choice when we want to use it. Amen? And how many of you know that as long as we are having our electricity from city of Tswane, we don't need to use the generator? How many of you know that as long as you are walking in the spirit, filling yourself with the spirit of God, walking in the things of God, you are actually starving your flesh and you don't need to go there. And so when people say to me, maybe it's a counseling situation, I was looking for love in the wrong places. It's because you hadn't found and filled yourself with love from the right place. Amen. Let's go a little bit deeper. Galatians 5 verse 17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. So nothing good comes from your flesh. 
even good deeds, even when you desire a position in the church and it seems noble, if it's driven by selfish ambition, it will always be against the things of the spirit in your life. You see, the flesh doesn't just distract you from the spirit. The flesh actually sets itself against the things of the spirit. The flesh has desires and it's got an agenda against God's spiritual agenda in your life. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They're opposed to each other. You can't say, oh, we're going to have a fleshly service now. They're opposed to each other. So that you may not do the things that you please. God wants to restore your will. There are people here this morning, God wants to restore your will. So that the thing you find pleasing to do according to God's word, you end up living that out. Amen? I don't know about you, but all the dreams and desires and the stuff that God has put inside of me, I want to desire those things. I want to exercise my will to continuously be in line with God's will for my life and follow through with that. I don't want to live a life where I'm continuously saying, I really want to do this for you, Lord, but eh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, can you not just watch for an hour? Because his disciples were supposed to be praying and watching but they were falling asleep. And what did Jesus say? The spirit is willing. So your spirit that has been transformed by Christ is willing. But your flesh, weak. In that case, it's the body, isn't it? Okay. Romans 8, verse 5 to 9. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. What does that word set? It means they fix their minds on the things of the flesh. How many of you know that when jelly sets, it's no longer a liquid, is it? When jelly sets, how many of you like jelly? When jelly sets, it's funny the things people raise their hands for, eh? How many of you have solar? No hands. How many of you have a generator? No hands. How many of you like jelly? <laughs> guava, guava, jelly. All right. So when jelly sets, it's set. And the Bible here says, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 9, it says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. My question to you this morning is, what is your mind set on? On what is your mind set? That's better English. On what is your mind set? On what is your mind fixed upon? For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. My question to you is, is your mind fixed? Not just visiting from time to time, but fixed on the things of the spirit. Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is worthy of praise. My wife was reading that verse to me this morning. Whatever is excellent, fix your mind, set your mind on those things. Amen? 
Not just when you're having your quiet time in the morning or the evening or whenever you have it. Fix your mind on those things. Now watch this. For the mind set on the flesh is death. That's the result of it. Don't let it deceive you. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. If you're not experiencing peace this morning, it means your mind is set on the flesh. That's why Jesus says, do not worry. If you want to experience peace in your life, then set your mind on things of the spirit. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. If you see someone, if you invite someone to church, a carnal Christian, and you say, come, let's fellowship, and they resist, and it pushes their button, it's because they are set on the flesh. And the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. If you try and correct someone and help them to see that their life could be so much better if they're walking in line with Jesus, but they rebel from that and they resist that, it's because they're fixed on the flesh, which is hostile toward the things of God. Is everyone following this morning? For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. That's why if you get an unsaved person and you try to get them to change their behavior, how many of you know that it's very difficult? Why? Because if your mind is set on the flesh, it is not able to submit to God. The per how many sin is sin. Sin is sin. When you are morally corrupt, when your spirit man is dead to the things of God, the fruit of it is a sinful lifestyle. And that's why you have carnal Christians. They're born again, but they're living in the flesh. And with carnal Christians, when you try to get them on the right path, if their mind is still, still set on the flesh, they will resist you. And they will avoid you. And they will exclude you. And they will say things about you. Because for them, attack is the best form of defense. Let me rather find out your faults before you criticize me. It says, it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the thing. When you have unsaved people or religious people trying to do good deeds in their own strength, stemming from their own righteousness, they can't actually please God. God isn't impressed with it because it's coming from the flesh. And that's why the Bible tells us that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. I don't know if you think God is impressed with you. Maybe when you came to church today, maybe this is your righteous deed. No, we come to church services so that we can grow in faith and build ourselves up in the most holy faith so that we do the work of believing. That's the New Testament Christianity. That's the only work you have to do, believing. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Jesus has done it. And so now my job is to really believe what he's done. And then because I believe what he's done for me, I live from that place. It requires faith in the Son of God. Amen? That's why Paul says, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the work of the New Testament believer. Now when we then say, but read your Bible, get word in you. You're not doing that from a work perspective to impress God. You're doing it because those are the things that will build your faith. Amen. Now, It says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You know what that's, that's talking about? This is not talking about baptism in the spirit. This is talking about being born again. This is talking about when God's spirit comes into you at the point of being born again. Remember afterwards is the baptism in the spirit, right? When you're submerged into the Holy Spirit. But if anyone is not born again, then he doesn't belong to Christ. Isn't that powerful? Okay, Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I love it. How just Paul, Paul is like, it's obvious, guys. Do I need to actually tell you about this? Let me just give you a few examples. The acts of the flesh are obvious. It's interesting how we've got the fruit of the Spirit that's spoken of in the book of Galatians. But you know what he's actually speaking about here? The fruit of the flesh. The spirit, the born again spirit produces fruit. When it says the fruit of the spirit, it's talking about the born again spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit being patient out there, right? It's talking about the work of the spirit in the life of a believer. Now, there's the fruit of the spirit, but there's also the fruit of your flesh. So let's examine what the fruit of the flesh is. It says here, for though, it says here, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Number one, sexual immorality. So if you're involved in sexual immorality, you already know that's coming from my flesh, my sinful nature, right? Impurity, that's talking about impure motives. And debauchery, you know what debauchery is? Unbridled lust, lasciviousness. Okay, shamelessness, insolence. Insolence is when someone is proudly rude. Insubordination. It's like, I don't care about you all, I'm doing my own thing. That's what debauchery is. And how many of you know that today, the flesh is celebrated in the world? And a lot of Christians are like, oh yeah, there's no issue there. They joke about it, they celebrate it. Okay? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. And witchcraft. Interesting, hey? Hatred. So you can come to church, seem like you really love Jesus, but you hate your brother. The Bible tells us that the sin of hatred is the same as, he says hatred is as murder. Because it starts off as hatred. So are you a Christian, maybe even leading in church, but you're carrying hatred toward your brothers and sisters. That means you're functioning from the flesh. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. You know that there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Ambition is the desire to achieve, but the problem is selfish ambition. When I want to achieve and make sure I outdo everyone else and it's all about me. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Factions, that's to do with division. Dissension, I disagree with you all, I'm doing my own thing. And envy, drunkenness. We're talking about the fruit of the flesh here. Drunkenness. We can talk a lot about that. At what point is someone actually drunk? Because a lot of times when people are drunk, they don't think they're drunk. 
orgies or orgies and the like. And I find it interesting that he says and the like. So in other words, the deeds of the flesh are not limited to this list. It's basically saying and other things like this. And then what does he say? He says, I warn you as I did before. So those of you who think Paul shouldn't preach on this kind of thing, Paul preached on it multiple times because he says, I'm warning you as I have warned you before. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, now it's not saying someone who stumbles once or twice, it says those who have this type of lifestyle, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is. Now you can interpret in various ways what that means, but that word inherit means to receive an, an allotted portion, to be a partaker of the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want a kingdom family. I want a kingdom business. I want to lead kingdom churches. I want to do kingdom stuff. And the Bible is saying as long as I have a lifestyle of the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, I will not be a partaker of the kingdom of God. There are various categories of the flesh that he talks about because the first category is sins of impurity. That's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That's that unbridled lust that we were talking about. The second category here is sins of idolatry. Mammon. Materialism, where you worship that. Sorcery, dealing with spiritists and mediums. That's to do with witchcraft, isn't it? The third category of the flesh that we see here are sins of hostility. Where it talks about hatred. Where it talks about variance, disputes and quarrels. Envy, where you envy the good fortune of someone else. Sometimes when I'm working with teams, I'll say, how many of you genuinely feel you're celebrated by everyone else on this team? When things go well for you, you really feel everyone celebrates you. And a lot of times people are like, mm, I'm not too sure. Because with envy, what is happening is you actually desire the misfortune of other people. Isn't that sad? Desire to surpass others. I always say this, don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with your own potential right wrath strife office seeking i think that there's a lot of flesh that operates especially when people want to be appointed in political positions seeking an office it also happens in the church by the way but have you noticed that in the world when that happens it opens them up to the demonic because very often when people are vying for political office they lie they cheat they bribe they take all sorts of shortcuts. I've worked for local government and so on, and some of the things that come up there, it's like we're being forced to do this by such and such a politician. Paul, they wanted us to build such and such a bridge, but as an engineer, I can't do that. I can lose my license because we haven't followed procedure, but they want us to do that because they want votes. Where these politicians will tell these people who are brilliant working in our local governments here, but they'll just say, hey, chief, we need votes. We want votes. And then, you, and then they have to listen to them. And that comes from this fleshly pursuit stemming from a place of selfish ambition, seditious heresies, and just being murderous. Those are sins of hostility. Amen. 
And in the fourth category, we have our sins of intemperance, intemperaments, right? What are we talking about here? Where people have no self-control, right? Wild parties, drunkenness, no self-control. It was like, Paul, I don't know what just came over me. It just happened. The devil made me do it. No, it was your flesh. Amen? It was because somewhere along the line in your mind, you've set your heart on things of the flesh and not of the spirit. And a displacement needs to come. In James chapter 3, Verses 13 to 18. I want to show you the link between the flesh and the demonic. Because you might be saying, but Paul, I want freedom. But literally, I feel like sometimes the devil does make me do it. Because I do certain things and then I'm overcome. How many of you feel that sometimes? Where you feel like literally you, get, you engage in something, but then something overcomes you. And your will seems so weak in that situation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It could be when it comes to anger. It could be when it comes to sexual addictions. The church went quiet because I'm scratching where it's itching. All right? It could be sexual addictions. It could be drunkenness. It could be other types of addictions. Right? Well, I want to show you the link between your flesh and demonic activity. James chapter 3 verse 13 to 18 it says who is wise and understanding among you let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom but if you harbor bitter envy can you see the same list that we've just seen in Galatians if you harbor bitter envy you are doing the harboring of it what are you harboring today? If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, deeds of the flesh, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have these deeds of the flesh, for where you have envy, and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and every evil practice if you read this passage of scripture in context it's basically saying the longer you spend in your life set on the flesh the more likely you are to open yourself and to attract demons that will empower you to do those fleshly deeds in extreme measure amen there's some people who used to have temper tantrums when they were little babies and they did that for years and years and always got their own way and because they were set on by on living in a fleshly way at a certain point what happened in their lives you hear these accounts of crimes of passion where someone's like i killed that person why i was in a fit of rage why for many years i lived in the flesh in terms of anger and i didn't deal with it and so what happened is demonic spirits came and empowered that anger that's why the bible tells us do not be afraid if you're afraid of them i'll terrify you before them what happens very often if you entertain fear in your life and you're always worrying and you're always anxious and you've got fear of man and you've got that man-pleasing side of you and you just embrace that as part of your personality at a certain point a spirit of fear and terror 
latches itself upon you and you start finding like why am I having these panic attacks why is it that I just cannot do anything in that moment because I'm terrified by that individual you've allowed yourself to be oppressed by a demonic spirit that is attracted to the flesh in you amen now here's the principle here's the principle and we've covered this a lot in this series but demons are attracted to things of their kingdom and that's why here the Bible tells us that if we harbor certain things there will be disorder and every evil practice. It doesn't say some evil practices, every evil practice. When the Bible tells us that the love of money, that's greed, isn't it? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is it saying? It's saying that when you allow the love of money, the spirit of greed, your flesh to be functioning in terms of your desire for more, 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 Guess what happens? It opens a door to all kinds of evil. And that's why those of you involved in counseling people, in coaching people, like I am, you will see it. Where someone falls into certain type of sin and you're like, what happened? And then the Lord speaks to you and shows you that it was actually the love of money. Yet the sin they fell into seems completely unrelated. And then it talks about the opposite. I love this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I want to give you some examples that show you how sorcery and witchcraft work. As deeds of the flesh Leviticus chapter 19 verse 26 says do not practice divination or sorcery Leviticus 19 26 do not practice divination or sorcery what is divination it's what it's the spirit which is used by fortune tellers people who are into astrology okay people who are into horoscopes and that type of thing that's just a doorway into the occult Occult basically means dark and secret. And it happens and it's crept into the church where some people say, let me share with you the secret. Oh, the secret. There's nothing dark in scripture. When God has a mystery, he has a mystery only to reveal it. He wants to reveal it. Amen. Jesus' heart, he says, you know what? I've shared with you guys all that the Father has given me. There are no deep, dark secrets. And the moment you start having Christians telling you that, or some man of God from wherever telling you that, oh, this is a secret. Then you say, please, can you explain to me? How did you do this? How did you disciple me in this? My brother, there are levels. I'll see when you are ready for that secret revelation. No. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Don't get involved in that. And let me tell you something. Don't harbor books in your house that have that kind of stuff because there's certain there's certain material that's demonic my wife and i often will go to certain bookshops i can go to a bookshop and i'll pull out a book and try and open it because i think it's some nice you know psychology book or something and it could be good for me professionally and i open it up and literally i just have a headache as soon as i do that i try to read it and i struggle because the spirit of christ in me is contrary to that spirit and that spirit is contrary to the spirit of christ in me amen sometimes we walk into certain shops and we have what we call the cobwebby feeling now say my love did you feel that cobwebby feeling yeah i felt that cobwebby feeling oh let's leave that place so please, 
in your homes, in your houses. Don't just keep all sorts of videos and stuff just because you're fascinated by it. Because those objects can sometimes give the enemy a foothold. That word foothold that we see in scripture is the word topos in the Greek, which literally means ground or opportunity. Amen? Do not give the enemy opportunity in your life. How many of you know demons see? I don't want to talk too much about demons today, but they see stuff. And so they see objects, they see things, and then they're like, ooh, that's from our kingdom. And there you are shundying in your closet, but because you've got stuff that's from the enemy's kingdom, that stuff actually becomes topos, opportunity, and it gives access to the enemy. How many of you know that deliverance doesn't always work? Just wanted to get your attention by saying that. Deliverance doesn't always work. There's some people you can pray for and cast out, try and cast out demons from them, and it doesn't work. Why? Because you can cast out demons from people and they will listen to you, but they can come back if there's the topos, if they've got legal ground to be there because the person has set their mind on the flesh. Amen? So what is divination? Let's look at Acts chapter 19, verses 18 to 20. It says... Many who became believers, what did they do? Confessed their sinful practices. Now people today are saying, no, no, you don't need to confess. No, 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 you don't need to repent. It's okay, just come to Christ. No, New Testament Christianity, Acts 19. Many who became believers, they confessed. The word confess means to say the same as. It means to agree. So God's spirit convicts you of stuff in your life and you agree. That's one step one in terms of deliverance. And it says, they confessed their sinful practices. Then it says, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery just decided, oh, let me leave that lifestyle. No, it says, brought their incantation books. Say to the person next to you, books. Brought their incantation books. How many of you know that there are things that seem friendly that are out there, movies, I'm not going to mention the names. You know what they are, right? It says, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. That's repentance, amen? That's, man, I'm tired of this. If you struggle with drunkenness, where you literally just pour, pour that alcohol out into, I don't know, the sink somewhere, get rid of the stuff. Don't be like, ah, no, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to be working at that bar. Yeah, no, I've struggled with drinking, but I'm going to be working at that bar. Yeah, at least I got a job. That means you're driven by mammon. Righteousness is not important to you. Money is more important. Amen? Church has gone quiet. It's okay, I'll keep preaching. Now watch this. It says, they burnt them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. I believe that when they burnt them, they were also dealing with the spirit of mammon. Because there are many people who don't burn things. They actually sell them off. Why sell stuff that's not good? And then other people's lives are ruined. Why not burn it? Some of you have to go home and burn the certain things if you're truly repentant. Amen. Right? And then it says, So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. We want the gospel to have a powerful effect. We don't want to be a lukewarm church. Amen? We want the gospel to have a powerful effect. We want Christians to be different, to be shining lights. 
Galatians 5, 22 to 25, it says, but the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's a whole revelation there. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That's the only thing you can do to the flesh. Don't mollycoddle the flesh. Don't feel sorry for the flesh. You crucified. That's a very strong word. Because crucifixion in those days was the worst form of death, wasn't it? That's why Jesus says, if my eye, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He uses violent language. And nowadays we're like, oh, I've got this area of sin in my life. But you know what? Ah, let's not be religious. Pluck it out. For some of you, that's where your freedom lies. Plucking the stuff out. Oh no, but then, yeah, but then what do I do? Because I need the internet. Pluck it out. It's not worth it if you struggle with internet porn. This is where you now just look straight. <laughs> so what is divination? It's the practice of attempting to foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge by occult or supernatural means. And there's some people who claim to be prophets, but they function from a spirit of divination. And weak Christians, immature Christians can't tell the difference. Ask God to help you with the spirit of, with a gift of discerning of spirits so you can pick up the difference. Very often in the spirit of divination, they know a lot about your past, but not about your future. Because very often they tap into the same demonic spirits that caused your negative past. And the past stuff that they know tends to be negative. And they can pick it up like this. Then you think like, oh, this is a true prophet of God. And then they just tell you something false about your future. Like, do this now and do that. And Christians are going, oh, okay. Eat grass. Oh, okay. Do because the guy told me about my past. But he was functioning from with a spirit of divination. The same spirit that people in the West, fortune tellers are using. People in the East is the same demonic entity. Then there's occult. That's pertaining to magic, astrology, or any system claiming use or knowledge of secret or supernatural powers or agencies. Then there's sorcery. This is the art, the practices, or spells of a person who attempts to exercise supernatural powers through the aid of evil spirits, black magic, or witchcraft. And the way witchcraft starts, it starts with control, domination, and manipulation. Witchcraft is any way any means of trying to control another person apart from the Holy Spirit. It starts off as control, domination, and manipulation. And that's something of the flesh. Amen. Now, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, like gentleness, self-control, says there's no law against these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So why is it important to live by the Spirit? Because you cannot love people, truly love them, outside of the work of the Spirit in you. You need the Holy Spirit. 
You see, the Holy Spirit helps you to obey God's law. Now people say, oh no, but God's law? No, we're not legalistic. There's no law. No, Jesus said that this is the summation of the law. The law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Doesn't it say that? And then it says, and the second law is just like it. Love your brother as you love yourself. How many of you know that it's very difficult for you to love me just in the same way as you love yourself? How many of you know that I need the Spirit of God living on the inside of me for me to love you with no agenda and no hidden motive? We're talking about a type of love that's very powerful. When the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, who's your neighbor? Jesus gave us the answer, the Samaritan. There was so much racism. The Jews at that time were so racist towards the Samaritans. You know extreme racism where you won't even spit on someone because your spit might be contaminated by spitting on them, okay? And Jesus said, that's your neighbor. And he said, that neighbor there, who are we talking about? Not us for and no more. Not your child who you love so much anyway. You know, people are so proud of themselves that, oh, look, I love my family. I've looked after my family. Of course you will. Saying, love your neighbor. Love that Samaritan. Love that person who was racist towards you in the apartheid era. Love them as you love yourself. How many of you that you need the spirit of God working in you to do that? But that's where we're going. That's where we're going as a church. That's where we're going as a people. It's that type of love. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. I like this. Manifesting the fruit of the Spirit requires the work of the Spirit. I love what John Piper says. This love is not optional. It is commanded and it is very radical. It is very radical. In other words, we are called in our freedom to desire and seek the happiness of others with the same zeal that we seek our own happiness. To seek the happiness of others with the same zeal that I seek my own happiness. That needs God. You see, this type of spirit-led living, walking in the spirit, when the Bible says, walk after the Spirit, it's not talking about when you're driving in convoy with someone and you're just following them. It's talking about being led by the Spirit like the locomotive of a train. You understand how trains work, right? Powered engine. I did a bit of research on it. It was invented in the 19th century. Okay, the first powered engine, right? The head of a train. And then you have the rest of the train there. That engine that is pulling the rest of the train, that's the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we just flow, we just flow, we just flow. Because if I try to do it in my own strength, I will fail. I cannot love you from the flesh. There will always be another agenda. I could do something really great for you, but in the, in the depth of my heart, there might be a sense of like, how oh, cool, he'll respect me more because he can see that I'm a nice, kind, generous pastor. Whew, he now respects me. There will always be what's in it for me. It will be love with a hook. I need the Spirit of Christ working in me so that my motives are completely pure. Amen. So what's the good news? What's the good news? Romans 6 verse 6. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
You don't have to be a slave to sin. Amen. Right? Romans 7, 24 to 25 says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Galatians 2 verse 20, this is the key. If you're trying to break a habit, if you're trying to break an addiction, if you're trying to break away from that fleshly self, this is it. I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now think about it. Whatever you're doing or whatever you were doing last night, can you do that in the name of Christ? The Bible says everything you do, do in the name of Christ. Can you do that thing in the name of Christ? When you're God conscious and you're saying this next moment, these next 30 minutes, I'm doing completely yielded to the Lord and I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. Can you sincerely do those things in the name of Christ? Bible here says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. It requires faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's a summary of this. Number one, according to scripture, there are two possible ways of life. Number two, the flesh nature is the sin nature into which we were born. Number three, the flesh is what controls the unsaved person and the carnal Christian. Number four, at salvation, the Holy Spirit regenerates our spirit imparting to us a new nature. Number five, we can choose from which life to live. Hence, it's almost like there's a civil war going on within you. There's a civil war going on within you. Number six, as we walk in the spirit, the flesh increasingly becomes subdued. And number seven, as we walk in the spirit, we can now fulfill the entire law. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But it be, it's a joyful lifestyle. It's not something that you'll hate. It's a joyful lifestyle because you're empowered by him. Someone once said, God's spirit creates law-fulfilling fruit. Isn't that wonderful? When the spirit of God within me is alive and active, it creates law-fulfilling fruit. It flows. Apple trees produce apples. They don't have to try to produce apples. Christians who have the spirit of God living inside of them love people. They don't have to try hard to love people because they're living from the right place. Is it landing, ladies and gentlemen? Is the, la is the learning landing? So what are some consequences of operating in the flesh? Number one, we die spiritually. Romans 8 verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what do we do with the flesh? Die. Kill it. I love it in the NLT. For if you live by the dictates of the flesh, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit 
You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. It doesn't just say put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. It says by the power of the Spirit, do it. It's only the Spirit of God at work in you that puts to death the deeds of the flesh. Nothing else. Nothing else. So consequence number one is we die spiritually. And I also believe that it can also cause premature death physically, right? The second aspect, second consequence is we open ourselves up to demonic activity. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, In your anger, do not in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't stay angry for a long time. That's what it's talking about. Don't stay angry for a long time. And there are different types of anger. One of my books, if you send me an email, I'll send it to you free of charge, dealing with anger God's way and the different types of anger. And just because you don't have outbursts of anger, wrath, it doesn't mean you're not angry. Sometimes people stay angry for a very long time because it's the calculated type of anger. If you look in the original language, there are different words used in scripture for different types of anger. And this is the type of anger that's very calculated and results in revenge. And there are different ways in which we revenge. We take revenge on people, even in the church. If you are angry with your pastors, your pastors can ask you, can you please do A, B, C, D? You might not have the courage to say, I disagree, I'm angry and I need to release you guys. But you might just take your time doing it because inside there's that anger. That's how you'll revenge. Amen. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And then it says in verse 27, and do not give the devil a topos, a foothold. You know what this is showing me? It's showing me that anger, a deed of the flesh, results in the devil having a foothold in our lives. And that foothold is not limited to anger. Can you see that anger is just a type here? Okay? For some of you, it's worry that gives the enemy a foothold. For some of you, it's passivity. Passivity of mind. Sometimes when people do things like yoga and Eastern meditation, they're emptying their minds. The Bible tells us that we must set our minds on things of the Spirit. So our minds must be filled with things of the Spirit. But some people then decide, let me empty my mind. How many feel that when people are using drugs, al alcohol abuse, your mind is passive? How many of you know that in terms of demonic entrance, one of the sources of demonic entrance is passivity? That's why sometimes someone can be involved in an accident, a car accident, and they become unconscious for some time. There's a vacuum in that person's mind. And afterwards, they'll tell you and they'll say, sure, at that point, that's when a spirit of fear began to harass me. Why? Their minds were passive. Oh, yes, it was when I was abusing drugs and my mind was passive. That's when that spirit entered and affected and controlled my life ever since then. You hear people saying that. I don't know about you, but I want my mind to be actively aligned with the spirit of God and the kingdom of God. I don't want anything else tampering with it. I don't want to ever be in an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. Amen? You guys understand the difference between biblical meditation. It means to utter and to matter. It's where you eat the word. It's where you focus on something. Eastern meditation, you're emptying your mind and you open yourself up to all sorts of other things. Amen. My wife sent me this quote of how Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley and many other kids, um, how she saw sin. And I love this. 
I love this because this is one of the consequences of walking in the flesh and operating the flesh. Our sight of God ends up dimmed. Susanna Wesley, when she was asked by her son John to explain the concept of sin, she says, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things. Whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Isn't that powerful? Should I read that again? Whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. What does the word sin mean? In the original language, it's to miss the mark. It's to miss the mark. What thing is hindering you from attaining the purpose of God in your life? What thing is distracting you? It could be something of the flesh, because I said to you earlier on, the flesh is at war with the things of the spirit in your life. Finally, what are some steps to overcoming the flesh? What are some steps to us overcoming the flesh? And please note, these are steps for believers. Unbelievers can't go through these steps because their spirit is not yet regenerated. You're following, right? The work of the unbeliever is to get saved. That's what they have to do. Okay. And then they start this journey. I love what the 17th century theologian John Owen asserted. He says, unless a man be regenerate, born again, unless he be a believer, all attempts that he can make for mortification of sin, in other words, putting sin to death, are to no purpose. In vain he shall use many remedies, but he shall not be healed. Mortification of sin is not the present business of unregenerate men. God calls them not to it as yet. Conversion is their work. Conversion of the whole soul, not the mortification of this or that particular lust. And that's why we need to get people saved. Amen. So what are some steps for you as I close? Number one, submit yourself to God as your first act of warfare. Submit yourself to God as your first act of warfare. Remember we said that this, the flesh does not want to submit. In James 4 verse 7 to 8 it says, Submit yourselves then to God. That's the first thing you do. Then it says, resist the devil. Many people are trying to resist the devil without having first submitted to God. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He won't flee from you if you just try and resist him without first submitting to God, all aspects of your life. Then it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, those of you who have not set your mind on things of the Spirit, but you're still dancing with the world, still confused about that, double-minded. Can you see what's interesting? This act of warfare where we must resist the devil is sandwiched by submission to God and washing our hands clean. Can you see that? 
It's not just saying, hey, just do warfare, just rebuke the devil. It's sandwiched between submission to God. Resisting the devil is an act of the will. We must break off passivity. We must break off passivity. You know what's interesting here? We must be active about it. Don't, you know, this is what a lot of people do. They play around with the flesh like it's a little pet. Call sin what sin is. That's how you resist the enemy. Call sin what it is. Don't call it anything else. Some people, they take sin and they make it their pet. They give it a collar. They give it a leash. They call it a nice, cute name. Don't play the victim. And don't get sentimental with it. You know, it's like bringing a baby tiger into your house. And you're like, cute. Oh, look how cute it is. And then one day it eats one of your kids. And you're surprised and you're shocked. That's what sin is like. It's lurking. Remember the Bible tells us concerning Abel. Cain and Abel. Concerning Cain, sin is lurking at your door. Don't mess around with it. Don't entertain it. Starve it. Amen. So what's the first thing to do in overcoming the flesh? Submit yourself to God. The second thing is watch and pray. Matthew chapter 26 verse 41. It says, watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. Why do people fall into temptation? We're not watching and we're not praying. Prayer is to do with your intimacy with the Lord and praying against those things. Watching is keeping a guard. You know that if you study the ambush of adultery, especially amongst men, and some of you might have seen some of the work I've written on that, but what is interesting is if you look at the research, all these men of God, all these pastors that fell into the sin of adultery, do you know what the common denominator was? Each of them believed it would never happen to them. They never thought it could happen to them. I want to encourage you, have a sober view of your self-control. Don't be the kind of person who says like, I know with my girlfriend it's fine. We just sit on the couch and we just relax. No, we're just relaxing and we just touch here and there. But no, we never have sex. I was my girlfriend. No, because we're both Christians. Ah, it's fine and so on. No, the couch will be the catalyst. The touching in places you shouldn't touch will be the catalyst to sin. Watch those areas, those time bombs, and also pray. Amen? The third is starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. Whatever you feed grows. Amen? You know, people who are big, you know, you have someone who, like, oh, how did that happen? There's some people where it's medically related and so on. But I know if you're like me, sometimes I can feel certain stuff that I don't want to feel that's on me. And I can't say, oh, it just happened. No. I fed myself. My wife said to me recently, I'm just wondering, my love, because someone said, someone who knew me from about 20 years ago, uh, where we were friends at Vasti. How, how many years ago was that? In the 90s anyway, right? And, and he saw a picture of us, a family photo, and he was teasing. And he was like, hey, Yamuda, uh, you are fat. Hey, my Yamuda, you, he's fat. And then I said, no, it's insulation for winter, you know? But what is interesting is my wife then said, is there something I need to be doing? Am I offering you too much food or something? I said, my love, it's my responsibility. What goes into my mouth? You do great and you set a good example, but it's my responsibility. 
So I'm talking to you now about sin. Sin, when you feed it, when you gratify the desires of the flesh, the power of sin in you grows because you're feeding it. Amen? Bible here says, starve the flesh. It doesn't say that. I'm paraphrasing. Romans 13 verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In Colossians 3, 4-9, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, that word again, the wrath of God is coming. Now, if this is God's view of sin, why can't it be my view of sin? Why can't I share the same view? Why am I relaxed about sin if it says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming? Ladies and gentlemen, this is New Testament Christianity. This is Mr. Graceman saying this, Paul the Apostle. Last time I checked, he's the one who wrote the book of Colossians. And he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice. Malice is wanting to inflict harm on someone. You chun me rough, I cut you smooth, they say. Right? That's malice. Slander. And filthy language. Christians shouldn't be using filthy language. I'm shocked by the amount of Christians who swear and use language. That attracts demons into your life. It attracts unclean spirits into your life. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have done what? You've taken off your old self with its practices. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that does what? That contaminates body and spirit. Your spirit can be contaminated. That's another teaching, right? Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The fourth step, actively invest in the things of the spirit. Actively invest in what? The things of the spirit. Don't think you can grow spiritually without investing in your spirit man. Don't think you can grow spiritually without feeding your spirit man. And Sunday services are not enough. Galatians 6 verse 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What is corruption? Death. But the one who does what? Who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are you doing that is investing in your spirit man? When you are passive, you can open yourself up to all sorts of things. Don't encourage mental passivity. Number five, the fifth step. Resolve where you will set your heart. Make a resolution this morning where your heart will be settled. Are you going to live in the world? The most miserable people are backslidden Christians. Have you noticed that? Because they're half in the world and half in church. And they're always feeling guilty because they've got the spirit of Christ living in them. And it's at war with the things of the flesh. The people who are happiest are people who've said, I'm setting my mind on Christ and he's my source of joy. And we've weakened the flesh. We've put on Christ. Amen. 
Okay? Just decide I'm going to be a radical Christian from now onwards. If I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to go all out. Now watch this. Resolve where you will set your heart. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Say to the person next to you, I died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 10 says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then number six, clothe yourself with your new identity in Christ. You know, in a sense, we have dual citizenship. I'm building on something that Stuart mentioned a few weeks ago when he was talking about identity. We've got a new identity in Christ. I mean, feel that my children can end up choosing their ultimate citizenship. Through my wife, they've got Irish descent, so they've got Irish passports, right? Their birth certificates are Zimbabwean, but they were born here. So they'll have a choice. When, when, they, when we talk to them about sport and things, they say, which, which country do you think I should represent? You know, South Africa, Ireland, Zimbabwe. They've got a choice. Now, there are certain countries where it's good to hold that passport. Amen? Because they don't give you problems when you go through certain borders. Amen? Now, you've got a choice. Are you going to live by your identity in Christ or are you going to choose an inferior identity? Clothe yourself with your new identity in Christ. Don't define yourself by your sin. You see, sin comes to distort your identity. That you are a drunkard. No, you're not. You're a born again child of God. And when you live from that space in Christ, the life of God in Christ, the God kind of life, you weaken the other thing. How are you defining yourself? In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You're created in his image. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17, it says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's who you are. Don't let the enemy keep reminding you of your past. You've got a new identity in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Ladies, remind yourself of that. I am God's property. I'm his special possession. When this dubious character is charming me and saying, If you love me, you will sleep with me. I'm God's special treasure. I'm the temple. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3 verse 11 to 14 it says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and, and is in all. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy, dearly beloved, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, clothe yourselves with kindness, clothe yourself with humility, clothe yourself with gentleness and patience. 
That's what you do because you're in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 to 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? When you're about to take that liquor, ask yourself, this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're about to take that next cigarette that you're addicted to, say to yourself, but this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're about to fornicate, say to yourself, this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're about to press and go into that site of that porn that you're addicted to, say to yourself, but this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your self-concept determines your behavior. How you see yourself will determine what you do. That's New Testament Christianity. In John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5, Jesus says, and I just want to say this, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding off, I really am. It's step number seven, consecrate every moment to Christ. Consecrate every moment to Christ. Every single moment. Colossians 3, 15 to 17 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ do it all in his name John 15 4 to 5 remain in me as I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing Stay in Christ. And the last point, number eight, renew your mind daily. If we want to overcome the flesh, renew your mind daily. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a lady called Rosaria Butterfield and she used to be a lesbian but now she has a family, she's got children and it's interesting because she says indwelling sin is a parasite and it eats what you do. God's word is poison to sin when embraced by a heart made new by the Holy Spirit. God's word is poison to sin when embraced by a heart made new by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.